It's one of the largest, most widespread public health crises our country and our community has ever faced. This is really affecting all ages, all races, all genders, and we need to come at it from that perspective. This is a problem in our rural communities, it's a problem in our suburbs, and it's a problem in our inner cities. Wisconsinites need to understand it can affect everyone and it is affecting everyone. The incidence rate of heroin and prescription opioid abuse and related deaths has reached epidemic proportions. And on today's show, we'll explore how this concerning problem is affecting members of our community and how it's impacting medical education and practice. There is a lot of push now for education for medical students and pharmacy students to be able to tell patients about what they should recognize for symptoms of overdose. It's a special report on collaboration to battle our community's opioid abuse crisis inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Hospital of Wisconsin, Freighter Hospital, Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions in advancing biomedical research and finding new drugs, treatments, therapeutics, and interventions that are better, faster, and more economical than ever. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Since 2005, there's been a 495% increase in heroin-related deaths in Milwaukee County alone, and almost half of all drug-related deaths in our county involve heroin. Dr. E. Brooke Lerner is Professor of Emergency Medicine, Department of Emergency Medicine, at the Medical College of Wisconsin. She and her cohorts joined forces with the City of Milwaukee and the Zilber Family Foundation to form Milwaukee Community Opioid Prevention Effort, or COPE, a project providing data that will hopefully lead to solutions to our opioid epidemic. Dr. Lerner begins by explaining how Milwaukee Cope began from a conversation between the medical college's Dr. Steve Hargarten and Milwaukee Alderman Michael Murphy, who authored an eye-opening study on opioid-related deaths in Milwaukee. Alderman Murphy had done the report 888 bodies about the giant increase that we've seen in overdose deaths within our community. Dr. Hargarten runs the Injury Research Center at the medical college, brings together data, and does research to try to reduce injury in our community. So we were able to work together to try to help policymakers decide what to do next. But we wanted to move deeper than just the numbers of people who've died to really try to look at where those people are being touched within the community to understand some of the myths versus reality and use data to really drive decision making. She shares some of what Milwaukee Cope has learned about the epidemic based on data gathered so far. First, who's most likely affected by this epidemic? I think the thing that's clear is this is really affecting all ages, all races, all genders. When you look at the maps that we've generated, there's no one focus of this epidemic, and we need to come at it from that perspective. While prescription opioids are relatively newer, 
Heroin has been around for hundreds of years, but heroin use has seen alarming resurgence in recent years. Some people come through using prescribed medications for pain management. Other people come to addiction through recreational use. Once we have addiction, heroin is cheap, heroin is accessible, and it's just so addictive. One in four people who use heroin will become addicted. For every death, we have six overdoses. So the high rate of death is one small part of the picture of just how devastating this is to our community. Adding to the danger of using heroin is that it's being made more potent than ever. There's the opioids that get prescribed, but what we're seeing and hearing about when people talk about fentanyl is this other type of opioid that can be acquired relatively inexpensively, and so they get mixed in with the drugs. Some people may know fentanyl's in their drug, and some people don't know what it was cut with. So purchasing drugs on the street, you don't know what's in that bag, and that's the rise that we're seeing in some of the these deaths and the extreme cases where we see groups of people who use drugs together overdose together because that was more potent than what they were expecting. So what's known about the scope of this epidemic in our community compared to others? We definitely are up there with other state, county, or city level that are experiencing an extreme crisis. We're seeing a lot of deaths, but we're seeing a lot of overdoses, secondary infections that affect our medical community. I anecdotally was told that the numbers of deaths are rising so much that some of the medical examiner's offices can't do the autopsies fast enough and are at risk of losing their accreditation because they can't deal with the sheer numbers that are coming in. Because of how widespread it is, there's really no one that isn't somehow touched by this. Thus the need for Milwaukee COPE. But Dr. Lerner knows that they have their work cut out for them. Most people can equate this with weight loss. You know, you don't gain the weight in a day, you're not going to lose it in a day. And similarly, it's probably not going to take a day for us to solve this whole crisis. We have to understand who's overdosing, how to get people who are addicted to treatment, get them to a point where they're not at risk of overdose death. We need to understand how people become recreational users, what makes it so attractive to use such a dangerous drug, how to keep people from trying it so that they don't become addicted. The thing is, it's complicated. To say the least. So what is the Department of Emergency Medicine's role with Milwaukee COPE? Well, Dr. Lerner says her team provides data to help officials understand where to most effectively allocate resources and change policy to battle the epidemic. I'll give you an example from an emergency medical services perspective. People overdose, the providers give them this drug called Narcan, which reverses the overdose. The people wake up and then refuse to go into the healthcare system. People felt like that might be a big group to focus on. It turns out that in two and a half years, that's about 96 of the people who receive Narcan. We give Narcan to over 2,000 people. So what we really have is 2,314 people over a two-year period who are showing up in our emergency departments. That's the place to focus. If we can take those people who reach our emergency departments and not just deal with their immediate emergent need, but try to help them link in to deal with their addiction so that it doesn't happen again and we don't lose a life. There's a saying in emergency medicine that in order to expect the best, you have to be prepared for the worst. Dr. Lerner says that she and others are working collaboratively in addressing an opioid epidemic that's at its worst ever. I'm an epidemiologist. We have a toxicologist. We have a 
master's in public health, working together and bringing their skills together to address what's happening. Also, we have a number of people who are working with the state on policy regarding the physician prescription monitoring program to help providers identify people who might be attempting to get prescriptions for their addiction and decrease the number of prescriptions that are ending up within our community. We'll hear more about tracking opioid prescriptions a bit later in the show when we talk to representatives from the Medical College of Wisconsin School of Pharmacy. But next, Dr. Lerner explains how Milwaukee Cope takes an evidence-based approach towards solving this public health crisis. We did a literature review to see what was out there, and we've created a lay description of what's known about all the different approaches, and then really trying to work with partners to pull various pieces of data together to describe what's happening and to give them the data to support that you know, it's not overdose to death. It's really much more complicated. Sadly, there's no silver bullet out there where some communities figured out the answer to this problem. And while people's stories can be valuable to the cause, sometimes they're just stories. But facts are facts. We heard lots of stories about how we needed a law that gave amnesty to the overdose victims. People weren't calling 911. But those were stories. They're compelling. But 85% of the time, people aren't accessing our emergency medical system. That's a fact. And I think you need both the stories that make it human and the data to really back up where to make that investment and what's important. Milwaukee Cope began only six months ago, but they've been busy compiling lots of critical data and resources available through their website. What we do have is a comprehensive literature search and one that's set for lay people to digest that's available on our website. We have our data report, which brings together data from the emergency medical services system, the medical examiner, and the Narcan training program. And then we've been working to develop an inventory of all the agencies that touch the epidemic so we can help people work together. They're also addressing some very specific aspects of the epidemic. What information does EMS need to really look at our protocol and make sure that EMS providers are ready to respond when it's not just heroin, it's actually fentanyl. And we have that information also available on our website. And we're working to create an academic paper so that we can share that information with medical directors across the country. And though the heroin and opioid epidemic in our community continues, Dr. Lerner sees encouraging signs that efforts like Milwaukee Cope can make a difference. People have realized with crack we did it not quite right and that we can do it better this time. We really need to make sure what's making heroin attractive is being addressed and keeping people from starting. We also are starting to work with those who have addiction, recognizing it not as failing, but as an actual disease. It's unfortunately going to be a while because it's going to be the things that you can't see that have to change first to really see the lowering of the numbers of people who overdose and who die. Our thanks to Dr. E. Brooke Lerner for joining us today. To view data and resources available from Milwaukee Cope, visit their website at mkecope.wordpress.com. Next, we turn our focus to an effort that's bringing awareness about the dangers of misusing or abusing prescription pain medicines in our area and throughout our state. In 2015, Wisconsin Attorney General Brad Schimmel announced the launching of the Dose of Reality campaign in direct response to the rapid increase in opioid abuse and related deaths. Dr. Robert Hurley is Professor and Vice Chairman of Anesthesiology at the Medical College of Wisconsin and Medical Director of the Medical College of Wisconsin Pain Management Center. 
From its beginning, Dr. Hurley has been an integral part of the Dose of Reality campaign. He spoke with us recently, sharing his expert insight on addressing the current opioid abuse epidemic. He begins by explaining how his approach in heading the pain management center led to his becoming involved with the Dose of Reality campaign. I really started a program here within the pain medicine group to look at pain medications that are not opioids, pain procedures that lessen the need to take an opioid or take it for a more time-limited period at a lower dose. As a result of taking that approach to the pain care within Freighterd and the Medical College, I became involved with the state approach, and that was really more in a supportive role of what Attorney General Schimmel, as well as others, were doing with the Dose of Reality campaign so that we could put the educational force of the Medical College of Wisconsin behind that initiative. He says Dose of Reality has multiple messages, but what's the overall message? The overall message is to help people in the public understand the risks associated with prescription opioids, meaning not focusing on the medical side, but focusing on the dangers of leftover prescriptions from our own medicine cabinets. Dose of Reality also has multiple goals. One is to educate about the improper use of prescription painkillers, because there's common misunderstandings about prescription painkillers that are contributing to the current epidemic of abuse. If you get something from a physician, you feel as though it is something that won't cause great harm to you versus buying a bag of heroin. Yes, it is going to be safer from that standpoint. The problem is it does not mean it is a safe medication when it is used not as prescribed. These medications have downsides and they are very substantial downsides. You've got short-term and long-term negative effects that are not related to addiction. That is also part of the educational mission of getting patients to understand that opioids in and of themselves are not safe when used outside of prescription. And the campaign is using multiple platforms for educating people. The tools that they're using are web media advertising, and then there is also community engagement. The website is clearly the easiest to access and actually has a great deal of educational material. Another goal of the campaign is to warn about the dangers of inadequate storage of prescription painkillers, because often people unintentionally become part of the problem. For instance, a grandchild will find grandma's medication sitting in a drawer. These are controlled substances. They are prescribed to a individual. The use of these medications by anyone but that individual is inappropriate from a legal standpoint as well as inappropriate medical use. What we recommend is a locked cabinet or a lock box. And tips for where to safely and responsibly dispose of unused prescription medications. There are community take-back programs, some state-sponsored take-back programs, police departments, and and the commercial pharmacies. If you actually go to the Dose of Reality site, you can type in your zip code and it'll give you all the possibilities. It's actually an enormous portion of our state that is well covered by these takebacks. So who exactly is the Dose of Reality campaign trying to educate in helping to reduce drug abuse? Dr. Hurley says there's a few different audiences. One of the groups that is being spoken to 
are physicians. When thinking of a patient with pain, the knee-jerk response should not be give an opioid. There are medications that work just as well as an opioid, but are not addictive and do not pose the same risk. If you are going the route of an opioid, it's not that opioids are inherently bad. The question is really, do they provide substantial functional benefit in addition to pain relief? I certainly think with the amount of opioid prescribing, there are more than likely small subgroups within those patients that respond more effectively to opioids and some that may respond less well. Another audience is patients who may be prescribed pain medications. Patients need to own their own medical health. You have to be an informed consumer and ask what are the benefits and what are the side effects and what actually is this medication. The website gives examples of questions that are reasonable questions to ask of a physician or a clinician offering you various different therapies. And that would apply to any medication, but specifically opioids. And it educates families. Things you should look for in your child, your husband, your wife, your mother, father, grandma, grandpa. If they are acting differently after they received these medications, these are things that you should worry about. And these are signs of inappropriate use of a medication. Dr. Hurley says one of the challenges is effectively delivering Dose of Reality's message to the wide spectrum of people affected by this epidemic. It's often more helpful if many people are discussing the issues and coming at the issue from very different perspectives. Trying to educate people that are 70 years and older is probably not going to be the same as the educational strategy you would take with the millennial generation or younger. This is not something that is affecting one single population or one single age group. Statistically, it is affecting 20 to 40 year old white males more than it is affecting other groups. That being said, it's affecting everybody across the age range, across multiple races, across multiple ethnicities, and across socioeconomic status. And that's what makes this public health crisis different than many of the others in the past. So how did we get to this public health crisis we're facing today? Dr. Hurley provides some important historical perspective. In the 60s, 70s, and 80s, pain care was really beginning to become developed. The use of opioids was restricted. There became an acknowledgement within the medical community that we were under-treating people's pain. The physician and medical community recognized that as a deficit, so we want to treat the deficit. You combine the wish to fix the undertreatment of pain without really good alternatives to the treatment of pain and the lack of funding to treat the pain with the alternatives that are available. So now you've got a perfect storm. You got a bunch of doctors and clinicians that really want to treat these patients. You've got patients that really want to be treated and you now have a system where you don't have all the effective drugs that we have now. Which brings us to today. You have a medication that does work in most patients. One thing that physicians and medical education certainly needs to own is the understanding of the risk of addiction and misuse of an opioid was certainly taught, I would say, incorrectly. Even just before I completed medical school, it was still being taught that patients with pain would not become addicted to an opioid. 
And that was based on a very short letter to the editor in the New England Journal of Medicine by two physicians. And then that became the medical lore. The pharmaceutical industry in the early 2000s latched onto the idea physicians are more willing to prescribe opioids for expanded use. And we've got this lovely study that shows that patients don't get addicted to opioids. So then they begin marketing these long acting opioids, arguing that patients don't become addicted to this. So you can use this for long-term care and there's no problem to it. In the mid-2000s, the education became much more appropriate. Yes, people are becoming addicted to this, but to some degree, the genie became out of the bottle. Patients began to expect an opioid as the first response. With the current climate of opioid abuse, is there a concern that medical professionals prescribing opioids are being vilified in the process? The answer is yes, but there is some onus of responsibility for the way the medical field operated. That is not to say the medical field is 100% blame. There is culpability, but the culpability really came from a very good place of wanting to treat pain more appropriately. The worry that especially pain physicians have is not people thinking that we're bad people for the type of work we do. The truth is a lot of pain physicians prescribe very few opioids. Our program prescribes less opioids than people would think. Then what are pain physicians worried about in the wake of this epidemic? The worry that pain physicians have is the label that opioids are getting as a result of the illicit use of prescription opioids, the illicit use of heroin, and then medical opioids, the examples being fentanyl and carfentanyl. We don't want to say you can never prescribe an opioid again. Opioids work very well and are very important medical tools in the treatment of acute pain. There are alternatives, but sometimes you can't use those in an opioid. may be more appropriate. When we talk about opioids for chronic pain, there are patients where there is no alternative that one could use. The danger is if we say that opioids are so bad that people will no longer prescribe them, we are going to cause some harm in not applying the appropriate medical care to a patient. And so when a physician does prescribe an opioid, there needs to be responsibility on the part of both the physician and the patient. When we do prescribe an opioid, we are going to use the lowest dose and we will reevaluate the use of this medication on a monthly basis. We also employ a urine toxicology screening just to make sure what is that patient taking? Are they taking the medications that we have prescribed as we have prescribed them? We employ controlled substance agreements between ourselves and the patient. You will not give your medication to someone else. You will use it as prescribed like they are supposed to. Finally, Dr. Hurley suggests there's a responsibility all of us have, and that is to not vilify opioids or the patients who need them. We have a lot of patients that feel as though everybody is looking at them like they're a drug addict just because they may be taking an opioid or in many in many cases are not taking an opioid, but they are a pain patient. People need to be a little bit more thoughtful in the applications of labels. Our thanks to Dr. Robert Hurley for sharing his insight. To learn more about Dose of Reality and get program materials, visit their website at doseofrealitywi.gov. 
The Medical College of Wisconsin opened its new School of Pharmacy with the mission of advancing the health of our community through innovative pharmacy education, public and professional service, and diverse collaborations. Understandably, School of Pharmacy faculty are paying close attention to the epidemic of misuse and addiction and the effect it's having on the prescription of controlled substances such as opioids. Karen McKinnon is the Director of Experiential Education and Outreach and Associate Professor. Dr. Casua Betsy Lohr is Director of Ambulatory Care Practice Advancement and Associate Professor. We spoke with both recently. First, Dr. Lohr says prescribing procedures have been affected as a result of the increase in opioid abuse. There's been a lot of changes in terms of provider education to help lower opiate prescriptions. And there's also a lot of laws that have been put into place in terms of even moving medications from different schedules so that patients aren't able to get certain medications. There's certain requirements that are needed now on the pharmacy back end. Even medical doctors are now required to do two hours of continuing education and medical students students, student pharmacists, and even the healthcare team have to come together to help lower opiate prescriptions for patients, especially on chronic high-dose opiate medicines. Based on their potential for addiction, you may be wondering if opioid prescriptions are able to be effectively tracked. Professor Karen McKinnon. Yes, they are. In fact, Wisconsin has recently launched an enhanced prescription drug monitoring program, which aids healthcare professionals in the prescribing and dispensing decisions of controlled and monitored medications. When prescribing an opioid to a patient, what data is collected? Data submitted to the state includes detailed information about the prescriber, the dispenser, the pharmacy, the patient, specific drug information, method of payment, data dispensing, and other relevant information. And who has access to that data? Data is available to authorized users such as the prescribers, the pharmacists, the regulatory boards, as well as health enforcement agencies. Once data is collected, what is specifically monitored by medical, health, or law officials to decrease the misuse, abuse, or diversion of prescription-controlled substances? This program flags information such as are they taking concurrent medications? Is it a medication for prescribed by multiple prescribers or are they going to multiple pharmacies? Are they having a prescription filled by the same pharmacy or different pharmacies within one day? It also flags early refills if there's a stolen prescription, if there's an overdose event, or even an overdose death. Hopefully this decreases the abuse of prescription controlled substances. So has tracking of prescriptions been directly affected by the current epidemic of opioid abuse? I actually think the opioid epidemic shed light on the need for more collaboration of healthcare providers. The ability to go on the internet and be able to track methods, allowing the healthcare provider to access information to review if they want to prescribe, do they want to dispense in real time. It also allows patients that are high-dose therapies to receive their medication in a timely manner. This form of communication really assists the healthcare providers in making an informed decision about their patients' needs as well as their well-being. And that collaborative approach will be reflected in the Medical College of Wisconsin School of Pharmacy as it welcomes its inaugural class of future pharmacists in August. Our students working with physicians and nurses and social workers so we can actually make more of an impact on health care for our patient. Providing students with this experience will help foster more collaboration between the pharmacists as well as other healthcare providers. The rise in opioid abuse has affected how patients are educated about prescription pain medications and medical students as well. 
Dr. Lore. There is a lot of push now for education for medical students and pharmacy students even to be able to tell patients about what they should recognize for symptoms of overdose and then even giving administration of a medication called naloxone to help reverse the opiate effects. For the Urban Community Health Pathway, we actually recently had an opiate overdose and addiction workshop session. There was an epidemiologist there that went over the statistics. There was a medical doctor that talked about the stress of potential patients asking for prescriptions. And so there's definitely a collaborative approach in terms of educating medical students and future student pharmacists as well. So what does Dr. Lore think is something important that we all need to recognize about opioids? That's a great question. Most often patients will hear about short-term side effects of opiates like vomiting, sedation, make sure you take it with food. But the thing that's really important is the long-term symptoms patients might have if they're taking them long-term, like weakened immune system, them, having constipation, or even if they're on other medications that could put them at risk of not being able to breathe at night. We as a community must really come together to talk about prevention of opiate overdose, as well as even recognizing the signs and symptoms to make sure that patients aren't overdosing on opiate medications. Professor McKinnon adds her own message for anyone fighting or helping someone fight addiction. They are not alone. You are not alone. There's many resources in place to assist you and your family. There's a great website. It's easyread.drugabuse.com, which is a great resource for patients as well as family members. Most importantly, when family and friends show that they care, it can help even when it gets very hard. Finally, in addition to resources available to those struggling with addiction, Dr. Lore says there are resources to help our healthcare system deal with the epidemic of abuse as well. There is a lot of work that's being done on the back end to support providers. I was the pharmacist on a pain management oversight committee and we would assist providers helping lower opiates and taper patients off of high dose opiates. But they also need a really strong team and there's just so many people that do need to be on the forefront in terms of talking about opiate abuse with these patients. Our thanks to Professor McKinnon and Dr. Lore from the Medical College of Wisconsin School of Pharmacy. As progress is made in battling our community's opioid abuse crisis, we'll update you. But for now, we've reached the end for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Once again, our sincere thanks to today's guests, Dr. E. Brooke Lerner, Dr. Robert Hurley, Dr. Casua Betsy Lore, and Professor Karen McKinnon. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show, and I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month, so make an appointment on your calendar to join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happy, healthy days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to this program online and on demand, please visit the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin website at ctsi.mcw.edu. While you're there, please be sure and sign up as a community member. We need your help as we strive to advance clinical and translational team science and improve the health of our community and people worldwide. And remember, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer. Co-produced by Tom Crawford and Jeremy Kuzniar in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.